Well, good morning. I'm happy that everyone is here in this uh, middle section. I notice everyone's kind of filled out. They're like, you're like right there, halfway back. Uh, the really important people who these seats are saved for never show up. So just know that you can you can come up here if you want to in these in these uh, in these front rows. Um, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter two. Colossians 2, 16 through 23. And before we get into our, our passage this morning, I wanted to uh, just to reiterate that the, um, the General Assembly has, has, has given us a, a $5,000 gift that is uh, to be matched. So, um, so if you feel the Lord leading on your heart to give over and above what you normally give, um, the, the gift that was given to us is meant to match that. And if you if you do, just write on your check, matching gift, or something like that. Um, and uh, j- just a word of update, we've, uh, we've got a new website being developed, and we're looking to, to launch that uh, towards the end of the year, maybe the beginning of, of next year. We've got an Instagram account, so if you're on Instagram, go on there and check it out and follow us. Some of you are probably saying, what's Instagram? Um, just ask somebody next to you. They'll, they'll tell you what it is. I, I didn't know about probably what it was until maybe a year ago. But uh, such is the nature of, uh, of social media. Speaking of social media, um, just a, a disclaimer, I guess, and we'll get right into our sermon. Um, I, was, uh, I was studying church history this uh, week and uh, was looking at a map of uh, Eastern Europe because I was somewhere in the Middle Ages and noticed that three of my grandparents were from a region right around where I was looking at and sent a text message to my mom and I said, hey mom, you know, uh, your parents and dad's mom are from like a 200 mile square, um, square mile radius here in Eastern Europe that I'm looking at. She says, yeah, well don't forget about your, your father's family. My father's family is from Syria. And so I looked up my great grandfather and some of you know I'm kind of an amateur genealogist and have done some family research and looked up my great-grandfather. And he came to this country uh, in 1905 and became a citizen in 1925 from Syria. My last name, Dayub, is a Syrian name. So I posted on Facebook. I thought it was a really cool fact. It was just a, an incidental cool fact. And I posted on Facebook, uh, great-grandfather... Uh, um, came here with his wife and children from Syria in 1905 and became a citizen in 1925. And I thought, man, that's really cool. And (laughs) about 10 minutes later, I realized, oh, man, there's a Syrian refugee crisis going on. (laughs) And, you know, the crossfire started on the Internet. And I was like, no, no, I I wasn't trying to make a political statement. It was just an incidental uh, family uh, fun fact. Uh, But but anyway, so for those of you who may be friends with me on Facebook, I wasn't making a political statement. It was completely coincidental. Um, Anyway, such is the nature of social media and the Internet. Uh, Open your Bibles. uh, Colossians chapter 2. And starting in the 16th verse, and we're continuing our series in Colossians entitled Christ Over All, and beginning in uh, the 16th verse, 
And it says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath festival. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up, without reason by his sensuous or fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Verse 20, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, rich word here in this passage. Lord, uh, sometimes uh, when we read uh, Scripture, um, we can be put off by what seem like archaic ideas or ideas that are removed from us in our modern world by centuries or millennia. Open our hearts, we pray, that we would glean the wisdom of this passage and we would be edified by it, transformed by your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify us in it, O God. And we pray now that you would be glorified and that you would transform us, convict us, and convince us of the word of God this morning. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the title of our sermon this morning is Warning. Paul is giving the Colossians and us a warning. So uh, just kind of a, an exercise for us. Most of you recognize that sign right there. It's probably, I guess, the international symbol or sign for caution or warning. Uh, if it's in German, it's uh, Achung, or I don't know how, Atung, I don't know how you pronounce it, but, but this is kind of the international symbol of warning. Uh, and then the next one, does anybody know what that is? Yeah. Just yeah, call it out. What is it? Yeah, it's biohazard, radiation, right? And then uh, let's look at the next one here. What's this one? Right. So it's a warning. Uh, you might you might go for a fall, slippery when wet. And what's the next one? Yeah, I don't know if they have any uh, signs like that around here in California. There are mountains everywhere, and those signs are all over the place. I'm from California. <laughs> so what do you think this one is? Car falling into bacon? I got that from Kevin. 
car falling in the water. I don't, I don't, I don't know where, where that would be. But uh, yeah, no guardrails, no. You just go to the end of the road and you're going to be swimming. And then finally, my favorite. Yeah. Warning, uh, bird wants to land on your head. Or watch out for owl. Or, um, yeah. yeah, this is a sign maybe after the movie Birds. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So, um, Paul here in this passage of Scripture is giving us a warning. We've moved through Colossians 1 and 2 with some really rich and powerful uh, um, um, ideas about being free in Christ and um, uh, being set free and all of these ideas. And Paul warns the Colossians, he warns us here in this passage, um, from the moment we trust Christ, uh, the enemy sets out to confuse us and discourage us. And Paul gives us three warnings um, to alert us how the enemy will attack believers. And he says three things. He says, essentially, some people will want to judge you, right? We're talking about our, our freedom in Christ. And some people will want to disqualify you. And some people will want to impose rules on you. So let's look at verses 16 and 17. Some people will want to judge you. He says, Therefore, since you've received Christ, and in him dwells the fullness of God bodily, actually he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. I inserted what the therefore is therefore, and he, what he's saying is, Therefore, since you've received Christ, and in him dwells the fullness of God bodily, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And this is what he says. He says, these things are a shadow of the things to come or the things that were to come. They were a shadow of the things that were to come, i.e., Jesus Christ and the new covenant, but the substance belongs to Christ. So these laws, these, these fruit restrictions, and these calendar observances were good for the time that they were a shadow pointing forward to Jesus Christ. And he says this, he says, let no one stand in judgment of you. And the Greek word here that's being used is krino, and it's where we get the word critic from. So when you think of someone judging you, think of someone criticizing you. And he says, don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone criticize you regarding what you eat or what holidays or religious observances you do or don't observe. Because when people judge you, it has a tendency to, to exert a control over you, right? When you think someone is going to judge you, or criticize you because of something, it affects you, doesn't it? Right? It kind of, it kind of affects how you, how you behave, and you don't want people to think this way of you or that way of you. And regarding these things, he says, 
don't let anyone criticize you over these matters. Don't let anyone judge you. Now, it doesn't say that people don't have the right to judge or else we'd have to condemn our courts, right? We have judges in our courtrooms and they do their job and we're glad they're there. Our, our legal system's not perfect, but it's the best in the world. Um, but, but this is being judged in, in these matters. Don't let people judge you in this regard. And what Paul is referring to here is really two things. It's the kosher laws, right? The dietary laws, right? The, the, the Jews and the law of Moses couldn't eat certain things, right? You couldn't mix meat with dairy. You couldn't eat shellfish and pork. We're still trying to figure that one out, right? Why is that bad? You know, it's not arbitrary, but it's, it's still a mystery, right? Scholars have debated for centuries why those dietary laws are in place. Some people think it simply has to do with an anomaly. Um, without going too far in depth into those things, if something is anomalous, like a crab or a, a shellfish, it doesn't swim, it crawls, it's an anomaly, and it points towards us, right, being an anomaly and not acting the way God wants us to act when we commit sin. That's just one idea there. But so there's the kosher laws, and the other thing is there's the Jewish religious calendar observances, the feasts and the high holidays. And these things really defined what it meant to be religiously observant. And if you remember how we started the series in Colossians, Paul writes to the Colossians, who he doesn't know very well, and what he's trying to do is guard them against encroaching errors and heresies. And the, the, the danger in the first century, and, and always, even up until this day, Here's what the danger is. It's always adding something to Christ, right? I mean, that's the danger. The danger is Christ isn't enough. You have to have faith in Christ and do this. You have to, you have to add something to Jesus. And so Paul's reacting against that, and that's where these warnings come from. And so apparently some people were standing in judgment um, over the Colossians because of their newfound freedom in Christ, and they were holding these restrictions out as um, taboos. But we have a tendency to do that too, right? We have a tendency to impose uh, taboos on um, our fellow believers that the Bible simply doesn't give us. In fact, we're pretty good at it. Um, and what this does when we create taboos that the Bible itself does not impose on us it creates a false criterion for judging the holiness of others. You see the connection? Let no one judge you with regard to food practices and high holidays and new moons because it creates a criteria for judging people that the Bible doesn't give us and ultimately it creates this uh, standard of hypocrisy. Because it reduces what the Christian life is to kind of a set of rules. I'll come back to that a little later. Um, I had a very close friend years ago, spent years in ministry, and I remember in my, in my 20s, I had a very, very, very close friend, and our families were very close. I remember going over to his house one day, and it was a barbecue, and there was no hot dogs. He wouldn't touch the hot dogs, and had shared with us that he was abstaining from pork and shellfish and those types of things, and you know, my wife and I, we went home, we talked about it, and we said, oh, what's up with that, you know? And, and you know, for him, it was this expression he was going to be really holy, and, and, and it was, well, the, the Jews in the ancient 
in, in, in ancient days did that, and he was going to keep that. And, and he kept it up for, I don't know how long, a year. And uh, it was just, you know, we had to be mindful about when, he, when, when we invited him over. We couldn't make certain things. And I remember one day going over, and there was like pork chops on the table at his house. And he, he had just, it was just too hard. He kind of gave up on it, you know. Um, but from time to time in churches, and this is why I'm mentioning it, it may seem like something that's distant from us, right? Who here cares about food laws? Actually, um, uh, it pops up quite frequently in churches where people want to be super holy and they start uh, kind of uh, adding to their faith in Christ this idea that certain... Now, listen, if you're a vegan or a veg- vegetarian because of health reasons or whatever, you know, that's, that's fine. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you know, being right with God because you don't eat certain foods. That's what Paul is talking about here. Um, and then, of course, there's even whole denominations that make a big deal about the Sabbath, right? About uh, certain days of the week or the, the days specifically prescribed um, that, that reflect uh, the Mosaic Covenant, right? There's whole denominations out there and and some people are, are lured by that. And I mention these things for this reason. If you haven't encountered someone who has approached you with either of these two things, you will. You will. You'll run into someone and they'll share with you their special observance or their special uh, abstinence from certain foods as a, as a means of kind of uh, uh, um, boasting in, I hate to say it that way, but it's, and it may be a deep conviction for them, but it's, but you'll, you'll run into someone like that. And so moving through this passage is helpful for you because when you think about it, you can say, yeah, but Paul says not to let anyone judge me regarding these things. So that's helpful. And that's why we move through these passages, which may seem obscure, right? They may seem obscure, but, but this is something that, that, uh, that God wants us to know. So we talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Um, and what Paul is reacting against is this. He says, these things are a shadow. They were a shadow of the things that were to come, but the substance, the real meaning, belongs to Christ. Hebrews 10 and 2 says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. Hebrews 10 and 2. A dim preview of the good things to come not the good things themselves. Does that make sense? The old system under the law of Moses was a shadow and a dim preview of the good things to come in Jesus Christ and the new covenant, but they were not the good things themselves. Okay? Um, Maribel and I and my wife, when we first got together, uh, I'm from Los Angeles. We grew up in the city. Her brother's my best friend. They lived two apartment buildings up from from us, and uh, we were teenagers, and her family moved an hour away to the high desert, and I had a picture of her, right? There was no internet back then. Uh, I had a picture of her. We would talk maybe a couple times a week, but what I had was a picture when I couldn't see her face to face, and I kept that picture in view all the time, but when we got married and we got together, I put the picture in the photo album. Do they even sell photo albums anymore? (laughs) Right, your, 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 your smartphone, has, you can store a thousand pictures probably now. But I put the picture in the photo album because I had the real thing. 
The picture itself was just a, a reflection, right? It, it, it meant to image her. And if, when I didn't have the real thing, I had the picture. But when I got the real thing, I put the picture away. And that's the idea of what's going on here. Paul is saying, neither of these things, taboos of food or drink or religious festivals, were meant to be permanent, just like shadows point to whatever is casting a shade, these things pointed to something beyond themselves, which now find their fulfillment in who? In Christ. That's the point he's trying to make. So he says, don't, any, don't let anyone judge you in, regarding things like this. And, then, and, and secondly, don't, he says, don't let anyone judge you in this regard of food and drink or high holidays new moons or Sabbaths, but also, uh, he says, others will want to disqualify you. Look at verses 18 and 19. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous or carnal mind not holding fast to the head, that is Jesus, from whom the whole body, us, the church, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Ultimately, this is about growth in God. That word disqualify, in the original language, really just means to decide down, right? It's like a thumbs down. It's a decision against you, and it carries with it the connotation of an empire. Let no one disqualify you like an em- uh, empire, an umpire, excuse me, an umpire would, right? So the umpire behind the plate, right? Strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out of there, right? It says, don't let anyone do that to you. Don't let anyone disqualify you and rob you of your prize, rob you of your reward. I don't know how many baseball players we have in the room, or former baseball players. You get the analogy. Um, He says, let no one disqualify you doing this, insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. And so there's three things he mentions here. Asceticism, extreme self-denial, Angel worship, right? All of you are struggling with that right now, I'm sure. And people claiming to have visions. Um, in some churches, asceticism is a way to be holy, right? Extreme self-denial. If you look at the history of monks and monasteries, that was kind of the whole idea, right? The, the, the more you could punish the body, the closer you were to God, and these ideas are not as abstract as we think, maybe, on the surface. Um, the denomination I grew up in, uh, women couldn't wear uh, pants. And in some of the churches, women couldn't even put on pantyhose because you had to put them on one leg at a time. How's that for uh, extreme self-denial? Uh, women couldn't wear open-toe shoes or wear red clothing because that's what prostitutes wore in that, in that particular uh, area uh, of the country where we grew up. And, um, and one of the things that demonstrates is that taboos are often local. You know, uh, they're local. They're, they're kind of culturally and locally bound to a certain region. 
Um, in some of the churches I grew up in, you had to sign a contract not to own a television. There was a scandal 25 years ago in one of those churches uh, where you know, all the members had to sign a contract not to own a TV, and someone went to the pastor's house one night and um, you knocked on the door, nobody answered, and he came around the side and saw a blue glow from one of the one of the you know one of the bedrooms you know the pastor had a television even though he had everyone else forced them to sign a contract not to own one and so this is what paul is talking about extreme asceticism right you know self denial and and this idea that all of these rules and regulations um right can draw you closer to god um and the interesting thing is in those those churches i grew up in is a lot of the people could keep, could, could do those things, but there were some whose lives were, you know, kind of a train wreck, right? And, and so you can, keep, you can keep those things, or you can deny yourself in one area, but it's kind of like, you know, you go from, from one thing to the other because, because the body wants some enjoyment and some pleasure, and so there's this imbalance often. And then the next thing he says is angel worship. Um, If you remember back in the 90s, there were all these shows as a culture. We were kind of infatuated with angels. And I think that ebbs and flows uh, throughout history. You remember there was Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon. And there was the movie with, uh, uh, it was Angels in the Outfield, right? And then um, um, Touched by an Angel. There were all these shows and movies about angels. And we think, well, well, who would be tempted to worship an angel? But in reality... Um, in Paul's day, there was this temptation, and there's, this, there's, this, uh, there's also this temptation because angels seem a little less imposing than God, right? Angels are kind of like our friends who are saying, look, here's what, you know, God, God you know, God, this, is, this is what, you know, God is, you know, God is like, and, and, and we want to connect with an angel because they'll be easier on us or something like that. And so angels are, in our minds... They're kind of like mediators. They're like go-betweens between us and God. But in reality, the Bible has uh, spoken to us about a mediator that we do have between God and us. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and men. And so Paul warns against this. Um, We already have a mediator that is interceding on our behalf in heaven right now with God, Romans 8.34, Ephesians 1.20. Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the majesty on high and intercedes for us, pleading our case before the Father. And then third, there were people who were claiming to have access to a visionary realm. Now this might really hit home more than the other two. Um, If you look at church history, you'll realize that whenever there was a famine of biblical preaching, good biblical preaching, Christians don't disappear. What happens is they become hyper-spiritual or hyper-religious. And Paul actually calls this kind of uh, hyper-spiritualism fleshly and worldly. And so it actually kind of produces the opposite of what its intent is. Because it goes beyond what God has kind of um, uh, exp- expressed to us uh, uh, what it means to, to worship and serve him. 
And, and, and Paul uses these words. He essentially says uh, their fleshly mind. They become puffed up, claiming to have access to a, uh, a spiritual realm and visions. They become puffed up in their, uh, in their worldly and carnal minds. About 40 years ago, Keith Harris, a British historian, wrote a book called Religion and the Decline of Magic. It's a fascinating book. And um, he notes that in, in the late Middle Ages in England, the church had monopolized the scriptures, right? So only the clergy could read uh, the scriptures, and the average person on the street had no access to the Bible. And um, what had happened was, in English society, before the, the Reformation hit England, um, is they didn't become irreligious, they became hyper-religious, and in the absence of the Bible, religion was expressed through things like magic and witchcraft and astrology, and spiritualism really flourished. Um, right? What did Chester, G.K. Chesterton say? When men stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. And so without the Bible, we fill that void and that vacuum and create all kinds of things and ideas about God that just aren't true. And when the Protestant Reformation finally hit the British Isles and reintroduced the Bible in the common language where everyone had access to it, uh, Christianity flourished and magic declined. And that's, that's something important for us when we think about this passage. But this is what Paul is saying. Don't let those who ex- insist on extreme self-denial act as an umpire over you. And take away your prize by going on about angels and prophetic visions because they're not really worshiping Christ. This is what Paul is saying. They're not worshiping Christ who is the head of the body, the church. And in Christ is how we're nurtured. This is the way God wants us to to grow. Knowing and learning and drawing closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and his work of atonement. This is how we grow. This is God's program for growth for us, knowing Christ and knowing him more. Listen, uh, true spirituality, okay, is walking faithfully with Jesus, who empowers us with the Holy Spirit to do what? To live the covenant way of life. That's what... That's what true spirituality is. It's walking with Jesus. He empowers us by the Holy Spirit to do this. And then finally, he says, some people will want to impose rules on you. So he says, some people will want to judge you. Some people will want to disqualify you, take away your prize. And then some people will want to impose rules on you. They're really just three different ways of kind of talking about the same thing. And look at verse 20. He says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. These have an, indeed an appearance of wisdom, right? They appear to be wise. They appear to promote 
uh, self-made religion and asceticism on the surface, right? God sees the heart, though. Man Man looks toward the outward appearance, right? We can pass the test in the eyes of each other. We talk a certain way, we walk a certain way, we dress a certain way. But God is after the heart. This is really the issue. They have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh, right? It's of no value. It's almost like if you forbid something, it almost makes it more attractive. You know, you've told your kids, you know, don't touch that. They weren't thinking about touching it before you told them not to touch it. And then when you told them not to touch it, you know, they, they go after it, right? I mean, it's the, it's the, we have four kids. It's the funniest thing. Every single one of our kids did this. We'd go to a restaurant, and they'd say, hot plate, and we'd say, don't touch it. And the minute you turn their head, they would go, <laughs> you know, and they'd get burnt. They had to learn for themselves, you know? That's how stubborn we are as people. We do that too. It's almost like if it's forbidden, we want it all the more. Now, here's the whole thrust of the argument, all right? I've tried to kind of say, this is what Paul's saying. Here's the point. This is what Paul's saying. But this is really the thrust of the argument. This is the overarching idea in these passages, in, this, in, the, in these verses of Scripture. This is the point. Paul says, you died to the world. That's what he means by the elemental spirits. The things that trapped you in, that define you, that regulated your life and your living and were meant to keep you from stepping over the bounds into ungodliness and unholiness, all of those things, he said, that whole mentality of trying to be uh, right in the sight of God by all of these regulations, he says, you died to that system. In Christ, you've died to that system. That's what he means by the elemental spirits. Remember when we were in verse 12 earlier on the chapter, he said, we were buried in baptism with Jesus Christ, and raised to new life through faith, right? You don't bury living people. You bury dead people. You died to the world. When Christ came into your heart, into your life, the old man, the old woman, was put to death. And that old system that the old man or old woman lived by and lived in that entire framework is gone and dead. And the Bible says you are a new creation. You're a new creation. And this is what Paul's talking about. You died to the world, to the elemental spirits, right? We were dead in trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together in Jesus Christ. He made us alive with Christ. As Christ died, right, we died with him in some way, some mystical way. We're not sure, right? Paul, all throughout his epistles, talks about us being in Christ. We are united to Christ. How? It's spiritual. It's it's something supernatural, but it's true. And the death that Christ died on the cross, we somehow died too. And the life that Christ received when he was raised from the dead, we received that life too. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He's saying some will want to impose rules on you, but but you're beyond that now because you have Christ. Um, I've talked about it a little earlier, and, and, and I, was th- I, was, I was thinking about ways to illustrate the idea of rules. You know, I could only draw from my own experiences, but, um, you know, Paul says here, you know, why are you submitting to these elements, right? 
touch not, taste not, handle not. Uh, when, I w- when I was a kid, I remember there were three things that meant you were holy. Uh, you didn't smoke, drink, or curse. You could, you could have been a rotten person. You could have been a low-down, dirty snake. But if you didn't do those three things, oh, you were holy. You were gold. I mean, that was how we... And, and what it did was it, it, it created a judgmental attitude and you judge people by that kind of rubric and that standard. I'm not saying those things are good things, so go out, kids, and, and, and have at it. What I'm saying, though, is it's a false measure. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a, it's a false guide to discern or to, to, to try to figure out if somebody is, is walking with the Lord, right? Those three things, you know, touch not, taste not, handle not. He says, why do you submit to those things? Um, it's reductionist. It reduces the Christian walk to a narrow set of rules. And this is exactly the thing Paul is trying to get us to get away from, right? To get us away from this narrow set of rules. This has sometimes been the problem with American religion, right? It just has been. Uh, You know, Jesus, when he told the Pharisees, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, um, this is kind of what he's talking about. You know, you pay attention to these little details and ignore the bigger picture of justice and mercy and compassion. And he says, therefore, your religion is in vain. God is after the heart. So here's why legalism is bad, the idea of rules. It oversimplifies the Christian life, reducing it merely to a list of do's and don'ts. And that's not, that's not how we identify ourselves as, as people of God, right? Uh, uh, um, just a simplistic list of do's and don'ts. These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, severity of the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Why? I'll just reiterate it another way. True religion lives in the heart, not in rules and regulations. Boundaries are fine, But the point is, boundaries don't define us. What we don't do doesn't define who we are with God. Our union with the risen Lord defines who and what we are. Have you been judged or disqualified? Someone discouraged you by trying to impose rules upon you since you've trusted in Christ? God wants us to know that we are complete in Jesus and we don't need anything but him to be whole. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, this message of encouragement, this warning from the Apostle Paul to us. We all need to be reminded, Lord, we need to be reminded um, that you look at us through the blood of Jesus and the faith that you have given us to trust in your son for salvation, Lord, not in some uh, external um, arbitrary imposition of rules and regulations. We are saved by grace through faith, and it is Jesus whom we are to cling fast to. Our profession of faith stands firm on the rock, Jesus Christ, your son. And we thank you, O God, for this. In your son's name we pray, amen. As we come now to the offertory, as the ushers come forward with the offertory basket, would you give your tithes and offerings as an act of worship to the Lord? And also, if you're visiting with us today for the first time,